Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. The entire Middle East is now watching Israel's battle against Hamas. Gaza terrorists launched a deadly assault, combining heavy rocket fire and deep raids to slaughter and abduct hundreds of Israeli civilians and soldiers. The IDF's response to this carnage will determine how Israel's enemies and allies view it for the next decade. But how did we get to this point and what's next? Rick, today we bring Israel Madad, our friend, broadcast partner on our program for many years. Uh, he understands the Middle East. He's a student of everything from 1917 on as far as the Balfour Declaration, the British being in charge of the land of where Israel has today. And he understands all the previous wars and incursions that Israel has had with terrorist organizations. And Rick, I think it would be good for us to talk with Israel Madad on today's update. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We do have Winky Madad with us on this special report as we look at the uh, attacks that are uh, taking place in Israel, this heartbreaking scenes that are playing out all over uh, the country of Israel. Winky, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to talk about this. Thank you again for having me on. Well, as I mentioned, the shocking events, it's, it's something that we not necessarily could have anticipated, but if you could, before, I have a few specific questions I'd like to ask you, but if you could, your thoughts on this whole event, what happened, how it happened, and maybe just an update, especially for you living there in Judea and Samaria, if you could just give us an update on what it's like to be there right now. Well, I'm sure your audience appreciates the fact that it's tense. We're very much concerned. This is probably the first time in decades, if not since 1948, uh, that a uh, relatively successful assault has been made against the civilian population in such a broad fashion. As you know, I, I, I study Zionist history, the history of the British mandate between 19, what, 17 and 1948. And uh, I'm well aware of attacks on Hebron, on Safed, Jerusalem, and other places, and you probably are too. But <clears throat> luckily for the past 75 years or so, besides the casualties caused by missiles, that uh, the civilian population has been basically safe, ex except for the ongoing terror, but not in a mass attack. And, and this, of course, is very, not only unnerving and very painful, but it, of course, points to the fact that, what, especially what I've been saying on your program and, and with your late father for, for many, many years, that people in the West just don't simply understand the mindset of the terrorist groups that are facing us. And now we've seen it. Grandmothers, children, probably close to over 200 people who were shot in the fields down at the kibbutz Reim. And so this is uh, quite a psychological impact on Israel's uh, national soul. Well, it certainly is. And I think uh, as time goes on, we'll look at how this happened. The intelligence failure, possibly the military failure, maybe just the complacency that might have set in. But when you take away the uh, how it happened, and I would like to see if I could get you to address why it happened. Uh, I've 
heard a couple stories coming along. One of it is just the hatred of Hamas. The, the leaders that are there in Hamas there would stop at nothing to eliminate the Jewish people, to uh, destroy the Jewish state of Israel. And this is just uh, the, the best way that they could see to make that happen. Others are saying that this could be at the urging of Iran. This is something that they uh, supported, they paid for. Uh, this attack was essentially bought by Iran and maybe even to scuttle the normalization talks with Saudi Arabia. One other possibility that I also heard is uh, maybe with all these protests, uh, the judicial overhaul, something that we talked about often on this program, all these protests, the, the Hamas has sensed weakness and they feel like it's time to attack. Do any of these theories uh, or is it a combination of these theories that brought this about? Well, I would have to agree that it probably is a combination. When you plan something, uh, timing and, and, and other aspects are affected by events that happen as you plan. Uh, but your goal, as, as your first point was, is that Hamas and anybody who has read, and it's online, you don't have me listen to Yisrael, Winky Medad, discussing with the De Young family on their program exactly what Hamas is. You can Google the covenant, it's right there, and I've said it many times. It simply says the Jewish people should not exist, at least in anywhere in the Middle East. And people thought it was just, you know, an expression of bombast or some sort of other weird theories that people have about Arabs or Muslims. But unfortunately, it's true. The Western mind, and I've said this before, cannot wrap itself around the fact that it's not a question of where you live or how ostentious you are when you do live, or even your religion, they don't want us to exist. This is something that happened in the 1930s and 40s, and we've discussed it on the program. How could it happen, the Holocaust? Because people didn't take Mr. Adolf Hitler seriously. And the same thing happens today. So of course, we're gonna be quite well caught up with the intelligence failure and the atmosphere of weakness and the fact that Iran is using Hamas and Hamas is using Iran. And it's only going to get worse if we do not respond adequately, forcefully to the threat coming out of Hamas, move their leadership from the Gaza Strip. Well, that leads to my next question, Winky. Where do we go from here, Israel, both in the short term and the long term? But you're talking about I would assume in the short term, responding forcefully. I don't know how much force it's going to take, but responding forcefully to this. So in the short term, both militarily and politically, where do you see this uh, situation moving to? How is Israel going to respond? I'm not going to get into details because although I did serve in the army and I read a lot, I'm not going to be a military strategist or, or commander in place of a commander. What I will say, though, and I, I want to try to impress upon our listening audience, is that this event should be used, if I can use that word, even exploited in order to say, listen, world, look what the Hamas is really all about. It's about civilians. It's about Jews as Jews or Israelis as Israelis. And they even killed for those who unfortunately had to see some of these clips, foreign workers, 
and 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 other people not really involved in the in the conflict, so to say. And we now have a chance to say, let us get the job done. Destroy the foundations, their military, physical capabilities, take out as many of the political and military leadership as possible, and then bring in the powers to be to say, listen, we disengaged in 2005, we got, we let Qatar in to pay them millions of dollars. Uh, we did all sorts of things in between previous operations, not to get involved, but all the time you were against us. Every time something, a tire burned on the fence, you said Israel was shooting people who were poor protesters instead of what they really are, terrorists. And we have to take advantage of that. And, and that's the only thing I can think of positive right now uh, at this time and stage in, in the, the operation. Uh, this attack, uh, the circumstances were certainly different from the Yom Kippur War, but this on the 50th anniversary of that, the, uh, the results are eerily similar. They somewhat seem to have caught Israel unawares. Uh, many people say that the Yom Kippur War shaped the the Middle East. Is you talking about the short term and cracking down on Hamas, and I certainly understand that, But and I know this is maybe uh, a, a opinion on your part, but how do you think this is going to change it years down the road as we continue to look down this? How is going this going to fundamentally change the Middle East, in your opinion? Well, if I was sitting... Uh, at the side of Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu at this moment, I would say, listen, among other things, we have an opportunity to convince not only moderate Arab states, but even less moderate Arab states, that if they want to get anywhere in the world in the next 50 years, this is the moment to come a little bit closer to Israel and to make sure that Hamas and its supporters, especially Iran, are ostracized, are taken care of as much as possible in diplomatic forums, economic forums, etc. If, if this can be affected uh, as part of the response to the Hamas attack, and I'm thinking here only politically, uh, this would be one of the best things possible to come out of this, to turn, to a certain extent, things around and to tell the Arab world that could make peace with Israel You've got a choice. Either you go with Hamas and never be accepted in polite society or come closer to Israel and let's move uh, forward for the benefit of mankind. I certainly see what you're saying there. And I don't even necessarily think I would call that a silver lining, but I could certainly see that this may fundamentally change the situation. Basically, this is exposed the reality of what is on the ground in Israel. And like you said, it may force people, force nations to choose sides. We'll see what happens from there. Well, Winky, we're going to continue to come back to you throughout the week uh, as we try to uh, keep our fingers on the pulse of this situation and what's going on in Israel. We appreciate what you do there. We first of all want you and your family to stay safe and we will be praying for you, but also we appreciate your insight, your uh, uh, wisdom as you tell us what's going on here. Thank you so much for what you do. Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much for having me on once again and goodbye to you and our listening audience. 
Great job as always, Rick. And thank you, Winky Madad, Israel Madad, for taking the time to be with us during these dark days that are ahead. And I have responded to people. Saturday was a dark day. It is still a dark day, and it will continue to be dark days ahead for Israel. But it's not the only time. 1948, Israel's War of Independence with those that were living there in the land. Then you had 1956, a Suez crisis. There were uh, the Six-Day War of 1967 and the reunification of the city of Jerusalem. 1973, the Yom Kippur War. 1982, the first war with Lebanon. That was the first one that Dave Dolan and I worked there together in the land of Israel during the first Israeli-Lebanon conflict. And then 2006, the Second Lebanon War. There have been many incursions since then, uh, skirmishes, uh, fighting along with those in the Gaza Strip. But this is probably one of the toughest, and uh, I could tell you for sure that it has sucked the life out of the people in Israel. They are dealing with it. They have a resolve. We'll see the nation come back together as they always have, but this could be a while before this takes place. In, uh, in in history. I wanted to bring to your attention, Rick, um, you mentioned the verse, Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The only time that there will be true peace in Israel is when Jesus Christ will be seated on the throne in the city of Jerusalem. And that's at the end of the seven-year period of time. It's going to get much worse according to Bible prophecy. And that's how we examine these events. We'll be bringing these updates to you throughout the week as we are now going into the dark days of Israel's history. And we'll keep you updated. Keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with Rick and Israel Madad. We'll have future updates on what's taking place in the land of Israel. Our goal at Prophecy Today is to reach the world with the news that Jesus Christ is returning soon and to encourage Christians to live a pure and productive life in light of His imminent return. To learn more about the ministry of Prophecy Today, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome to Prophecy Today, and uh, this is a moment that uh, we never thought we would see, but we're not surprised. This day in history, it's a dark day in history, uh, on the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, uh, we are watching the images on TV uh, with a sadness of heart. Rick and I are both here, and uh, we just thought it would be very important to get our Good friend and comrade, uh, CBS journalist for over 35 years in the land of Israel, David Dolan. Uh, Rick, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Jimmy. And uh, this is certainly a somber time as we look at all that's going on. The the thought of pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for Israel. That is so prevalent right now. The things that are taking place, we've 
seen these uh, we've seen this coming for uh, for a little while, but we never realized that it would come with this kind of intensity. David, if you could, uh, thank you for joining us. Well, you guys, uh, you've been serving <laughs> the Lord and Israel for so many decades and your late father and uh, what wonderful testimonies, uh, what wonderful um, reviews you'll have before the throne of grace, I believe, in heaven. <laughs> so it's great to be on your program. And uh, yes, I live many um, decades, well, uh, the same years as Jesus, I like to say, 33 in Israel, and I follow everything closely, and I have friends caught up in the middle of this, and uh, people being called up to service, and uh, it's it's a very emotional time, but, uh, but it's good. It's good because we knew these uh, things were going to happen, the prophecies told us, and uh, we've been expecting, you know, and these are the birth pangs of the messiah's uh, kingdom and uh and his glorious coming so uh, we rejoice in that in the midst of some pretty grim uh situations well david if you could this situation we saw it coming if you could there's so much happening so much taking place right now uh just give us an update on what you see taking place on the ground what happened and uh you know where are we right now in this situation well it's uh been warned of from the islamic militant groups uh, backed by iran for some time over a year really directly from islamic jihad and hamas they've been saying they're going to do another offensive against israel and the zionist entity that must be destroyed and the whole thing and Iran continues to talk like that and act like that and walk like that uh, in Lebanon, in Syria, in um, Gaza, in Judea and Samaria the past year, of course, as we've talked about many times, um, attacks emanating from Tulkarm, from uh, Nablus, from Shechem, from other places in the north of um, uh, Samaria where Iran has a big hold and they've been creating problems everywhere. And uh, yes, I mean, it was so reminiscent of the Yom Kippur War, and you guys are much younger than me, but uh, I remember um, after work in 1973, I was working as a waiter at a restaurant, so not a great job, but I pulled off the road on the way home to... um, just listen to the news, the midnight news, and it was that Egypt and Syria had just attacked Israel on its holiest day, Yom Kippur, backed by the then Soviet Union. And uh, I felt that moment, the Lord tell me, you're going to get involved in this. But uh, I lost my job because we had the oil embargo and all the trouble. So nothing new here, but this is so similar, a surprise attack on Shabbat morning at dawn. Um, I've heard from several friends who um, in Israel who uh, woke up and they saw their phone had these notices of sirens going off and warnings and blah, blah, blah. You know, again, just after dawn on Saturday, the last day of Sukkot. Uh, Well, really, it had ended, but it was um, Simchat Torah, the next final day, great day of the feast, as it's called in the New Testament. 
And uh, they realized within an hour or so, they said that they would be called up uh, if they were in the reserves, as many of them are, that they would be going down to the front if they're in active service, as many of them are. Or in my generation, their parents and grandparents saying, oh, my goodness, here here we go again, you know. So dramatic and uh, like that, the middle of a holy day, that was Yom Kippur. This was Sibkat Torah. Suddenly people wake up and realize they have to go to war. And uh, it's a terrible situation, but, uh, you know, God is still on the throne and uh, watching everything. So we so, have that hope. David, we've all been watching. Uh, I'm sure most people that are interested in Israel have been watching their media uh, outlet that they would watch, whether it be Fox News, CNN, BBC, um, throughout the day. So we, we've seen these images What's the latest that uh, that you know uh, as far as uh, your intel? Uh, of what has, you know, as it is nighttime there, going into the night, it's a terrible time for most of these families that do have to go into their bomb shelters all night long. Uh, there are probably still pockets of uh, terrorists that are out on the ground. We know that the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is out looking for them, uh, shutting and, and clearing cities villages, streets, uh, almost in the days of, you know, going like it was in the city of Jerusalem, going uh, alleyway by alleyway. So what's the latest that you could tell us? Well, Jimmy, first of all, this is definitely, uh, it's only one day old, but we can already say this is the worst war forced upon Israel since 1973, that joint uh, Egyptian-Syrian attack backed by the Soviet Union that ended with a near-nuclear conflict on October 25th, uh, 50 years ago, uh, between the U.S. and Russia, Soviet Union. I won't go into that here, but, you know, dramatic times. This is the worst uh, since then, and I say that for many reasons, and I'm not alone. We We haven't had this many communities captured by the enemy uh, over 15 kibbutz settlements uh, communities were surrounded captured uh, cut off and some of them still are uh, in uh, the area of the gaza strip and then these rockets all over uh, many of them reaching tel aviv and uh, to the north and uh, destroying some buildings there and uh, the conflict, uh, they're calling Hamas for it to be all over the Middle East. And I spoke about this last weekend on, uh, you know, the, your program, Prophecy Today weekend program, that they were calling upon, um, you know, Arab um, groups around the region and Islamic groups around the world to join in this special day of opposition to Israel on Friday, and uh, they didn't do anything on Friday, but uh, at the dawn of Saturday morning during the Sabbath, they struck with an amazing uh, attack, really, um, uh, Jimmy and Rick. It was, uh, I haven't seen this in my decades in Israel, a three-pronged attack. They launched drones over Israeli tanks and blew them up and pulled people, soldiers out of them, took them capture. They did sea attacks and they did ground attacks. They overran the ERA's checkpoint. That's the main 
connection between Israel proper and the Gaza Strip, heavily fortified. I've been there many times. Uh, Nobody would have imagined they could just overtake it. So the Israelis were shocked and awed. What can I say? They were surprised. This wasn't expected. And that'll all come up in the coming, you know, weeks and months politically. But for the moment, they're under siege. They're under attack. They see Iran's hand behind this. And the people are pretty united. And as I said earlier on your program, it might take a a new major war or, you know, joint attack against them to unite them. And they've been fiddling over this judicial reform and American politicians have been fiddling over all the stuff they are and uh, the the borders and the speakers and all the stuff going on. But this is what's out there. You know, this is what we have to face. And Israel is a is in a huge new, very significant struggle, guys. And uh, all your listeners, I just urge you to pray for um, the country. And we know the outcome ultimately, so we're not worried about that. But people are suffering right now and dying, and uh, we need to keep (laughs) keep them in our thoughts and prayers. We certainly do, David, and this is an emotional time, and I can hear the emotion in you. I, You brought up a couple of points. You talk about Iran and the fact that they're backing this attack. You talk about the, the fact that there was a breakdown. Like, How did Israel not see this coming? They have a renowned intelligence service. They have uh, all the uh, listening devices and the military intelligence. David, how do you think that this happened? How did they not see this coming? Well, Rick, I won't quote me. I'll quote one of the senior officials in the uh, Israeli intelligence committee uh, community, I should say, that was on uh, CNN or somewhere today. I saw it, BBC, maybe somewhere, who said we've been so preoccupied with this judicial reform thing and quelling demonstrations and, you know, keeping order in our cities, keeping the highways open and et cetera. And and a lot of soldiers have been involved in that. And that all cuts down on training time and the internal divisions over the political issues uh, create uh, a breakdown in communication, frankly, in these services and whatever, in the military and on and on. So uh, he said that, you know, we kind of brought this on ourselves by focusing on, uh, again, I don't want to get too political, but here in the U.S., what is it? It's global warming, whereas we're actually facing a possible nuclear war with Russia and China. <laughs> in Israel, it's judicial reform, whereas they're actually facing probably Iran's attempt to destroy them. Mm. So, you know, it's where, where people's attention is at and where our politicians uh, lead us to focus on. But um, it's a very difficult struggle. And yes, it's uh, I've been there in the middle of several wars and actually embedded uh, with IDF forces on a couple of occasions and whatever. And uh, um, yeah, this is a, a critical moment. And, uh, you know, we are instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that has to be all the more so in these times. I don't mean the peace treaty tomorrow. I mean the safety and security of the people at this present moment. Yes. Hey, David, uh, you and I, uh, we were both there during the first Israeli 
Lebanon conflict. We both have been there over the years, 1996, uh, 2011. I mean, you go on and on. There, there have been these incursions uh, from the Gaza Strip. Uh, Rick and I were there um, last year, I believe it was, or, or right before COVID, actually, when there were probably 700, 800 rockets that went off and our alarms on our phones, our rocket alert. Uh, was just going off. It was like one right after another. So, yes, we know the fear that these folks, uh, the tiny nation of Israel, which is only about the size of New Jersey, um, it's uh, very small in size, and the whole state um, is under alert. It's on a lockdown. Rick is supposed to be there on, on Monday, but we've talked to people that are there now. They can't even leave their hotels. I've uh, texted people about just stay with your group, stay in the hotels, listen to what they tell you, you should be fine. But we do see also that the government now, uh, and and you made a reference to this, they were have been fighting all these protests on judicial reform, but we've seen Yair Lapid and we've seen Benny Gantz reach out uh, to Prime Minister Netanyahu to make an emergency uh, government to kind of deal with this situation. How long? Uh, first of all, how long do you think that'll last? And what are the the basic days ahead going to look like? Well, I've uh, mentioned before on on uh, my you know reports that there's no way the Saudi-Israeli proposed peace accord, as we're learning about it anyway, could pass uh, an Israeli government test unless. Netanyahu were to drop the right-wing nationalist parties, the two in his government, and replace them with something more centrist, and that would be probably Benny Gantz. That's now being proposed, not because of the Saudi issue, but because Israel is under attack. And uh, again, it became clear through the day on Saturday, as the reports came in from here and there and everywhere, as the videos being posted by Hamas were seen, et cetera, that Israel is indeed at war, as Netanyahu proclaimed. This isn't a joke. This isn't a, a, a rehearsal. This isn't an operation. This is full war that Hamas has chosen to do an audacious, outrageous uh, assault upon the Jewish state you know, again, capturing 15 communities. We haven't seen that in decades uh, since, yes, again, many years uh, ago, uh, 73, really. And um, uh, civilians captured and on and on. This has gone beyond the scope of anything we've seen. So the response has got to, and I think that's why President Biden came out and said, will support Israel under any circumstance. Now, I pointed out that, uh, and I said this on the show, that his pushing the agreement with Saudi Arabia now was unlikely to result in peace, but more likely to explode the region because Iran is so opposed to it. And I think that's what we're seeing. And again, I've heard that from other commentators. This isn't my original idea, but so, in other words, the Biden administration uh, has pushed this thing in a, in a way. And uh, also, the president's uh, 
disdain, if I can use that word, earlier in the year at least, for Netanyahu and his government, you know, not even willing to phone him at first, and then, okay, we'll meet eventually. And, you know, one of our closest allies obviously sent a message to Israel's enemies. So um, it, it looks to me like Iran picked that up. Hamas was given orders. And now the question is, does Hezbollah join in? And how far does this, this really go? Well, that certainly is the question, David. And I appreciate so much your insight. There's so many things that you have brought up and we have brought up on this program, but also on all the programs that we do over the weeks and the months uh, leading up to this. Uh, many of the things that we have talked about are now coming to fruition. We appreciate you coming to the to the broadcast table today to to help inform us and you've let us know that you're going to be with us we're going to come back and we're going to have regular updates as we continue to monitor this situation this serious situation and one thing that Jimmy said that you said David and that I say as well pray for the peace of Jerusalem pray for the people of Israel pray for the situation there right now that's what we can do as Christians here in America. David, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to call on you again, maybe daily, David, as we continue to monitor this situation, what's taking place in Israel. We appreciate what you do, and we will be talking to you again soon. I am blessed to do it, as you know, Rick, and uh, God bless you guys and your ministry. David, as always, thank you so much for taking the time. This dark day in Israel's history, its short history, once it was reformed again as a state, 1948, uh, there have been moments. We talk about the reunification of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we've talked about the Yom Kippur War, of when that took place, and, and how on the holiest day of the year, there was an attack by on nations on just about every side of Israel. And of course, today we've seen uh, this attack again on a holy day, the Simcha Torah, the finishing of the reading of the the, the five books of the, the Torah, the law, uh, ending with Deuteronomy, beginning again in Genesis, and there was an attack. So it is something that uh, we have focused on. I've seen a lot of prophecy teachers uh, and a lot of people that have been talking about this is the war that's going to take place. This is it. Well, this is not, I don't believe yet, the war of Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. That is to come. This very well could lead up to that day. But let me remind you of that little tiny book of the book of Obadiah. People always ask about the Palestinian people and and uh, what will become of this. This basically, Hamas is a, uh, a proxy of Iran. Uh, they're helping in this situation and attacking Israel and uh, wanting to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Israel is surrounded by 220 million people that would love to see that happen. So as we watch this, we look at the Palestinian people, which are getting support. All those folks that live in Gaza, they're getting support. And we're still seeing, waiting to see what Hezbollah will do out of Lebanon, their role, and uh, the Palestinian people, and, and what will take place. 
But the little book of Obadiah, a lot of people ask, well, why did this happen? Little book of Obadiah gives us uh, uh, some understanding. Verse 16, for as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they have never been. You will notice once again, Joel's, the prophet Joel, the day of the Lord is in play here. Verse 15, this passage is describing the days leading up to the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth. A key verse, verse 16, speaks of the descendants of Esau drinking upon the Lord's holy mountain. One of the reasons that they say that this has taken place, this attack on Israel is because of the amount of people that are visiting the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, the amount of Jewish people that are visiting them. The Lord is referring to Zechariah's prophecy in chapter 12, verse 2 of the prophetic message about the city of Jerusalem and in particular, the Temple Mount. Zechariah is describing how those who have control over the Temple Mount have become intoxicated with power. The words cup of trembling are referring to when the juice of the vine, the grape juice has fermented in the cup and has become intoxicating. Notice it says that those have drunk, who have drunk on the temple mount shall continue to do so, continuing to be intoxicated with power until they shall be as they have never been. This is the prophecy written to Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, which are the Palestinian people of today. This small prophetic book of Obadiah is both historic and prophetic. The truth is, is at the time that it was written, the entire book was prophetic. The book was written around 850 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 to 14 are those prophecies that have been fulfilled. Prophecies and historic events that have already come to pass. Verses 15 to 21 are now the prophetic passages in this book. All the evidence today is available for anyone to investigate and come to the same conclusion that the Orthodox Jewish scholars have made. The Edomites of biblical time are the Palestinians of today. We are now living in a time like never before in history. The Jews and the Palestinians are in a conflict that is key in the Middle East. In fact, the former United Nations Secretary, said that the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is key to peace in the Middle East. The conflict will be resolved. The Palestinians shall come to a time when they will be as if they've never been. That's verse 16. We are very near to that time in history. Jesus is coming, and it could be today, when he calls us up to be with him at the rapture of the church. Folks, with everything that we are seeing, we are getting closer and closer to that event to take place. Let's keep looking up until. Prophecy Today, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And that's just what we do each week, Rick. We have our broadcast partners that come in and they help us to examine world events. You know, the main reason we can trust biblical prophecy is that it, like the rest of scripture, was written, literally, God breathed. By the creator of the universe, it is inerrant, perfect, and true. 
We must understand that before we can understand the role of biblical prophecy. That's right, Jimmy. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Biblical prophecy plays two roles. It foretells the future and explains what the positive or negative results of future events will be. Prophecy may announce events that bring joy and pleasure or fear and foreboding. When prophecy is ignored, it is usually because the hearers don't like what they hear for one reason or another. And Rick, this week on the program, we are going to look at world events that are setting up for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled in the future. That's because we feel that the rapture is the next thing to happen on God's calendar. Well, Rick, let's get started with today's program. We have Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Winky Madad, the Legacy Series, and of course, at the end of the program, a look at the book where you and I will wrap it up. So let's get started with our first interview with Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an author, an analyst, a man with a lot of experience all over the world. You can find out more about him. Sign up for his newsletter by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, there's a variety of news stories for us to get at this week. One of those stories is that Vladimir Putin is giving his reminder that he is a nuclear power and that we need to be careful when dealing with this situation because he says no one will survive a nuclear attack on Russia. Well, that's obvious. Uh, Russia has uh, the largest nuclear arsenal now in the world, larger than the United States. They've been cheating on the INF Treaty that covers intermediate range missiles. And that caused President Trump to withdraw from that treaty in 2019. So the Russians have been producing more and more nuclear tipped missiles. And uh, Putin said this week that he had also completed tests on a new ICBM called the Sarmat. It's capable of uh, carrying up to 10 multiple independently targeted uh, reentry vehicles, MIRVs, uh, nuclear warheads. So it's something that could really put the United States in danger. But look, nobody is threatening Russia with a nuclear attack. And that was the premise of Putin's statement. He said no one will survive the nuclear war that would ensue if Russia were attacked with nuclear weapons. It's not going to happen. This is his typical saber rattling, trying to remind everybody that he's still there and he's got lots of nuclear weapons. Well, he does. And he has allies, too. And this is a story that we reported on recently. And you talked about it. He met with the leader of North Korea. And now that meeting is fruitful. It looks like they are providing him with ammunition. Uh, that's right. And, and and we looked into this. You know, we've been talking about this now for a couple of weeks. It, it was entirely predictable. But now we're seeing the proof uh, coming out in front of our eyes. The North Koreans are sending artillery pieces. They're sending millions of rounds of artillery ammunition. Uh, remember, North Korea is a country that has got tens of thousands of heavy artillery pieces on the border with South Korea. So they are constantly threatening Seoul. They're constantly threatening the Korean peninsula. It's pretty easy for them to to withdraw 500 or 1,000 of those artillery pieces and ship them to Russia. Russia does not have the massive manufacturing capabilities that they had during the Soviet Union. Many of those arms factories were, in fact, in Ukraine. So they've lost access to some of that uh, arsenal. North Korea uh, fills it in for them. These are old generation weapons. They're not the state of the art stuff uh, that uh, we are shipping to Ukraine. But uh, a lot of Ukrainian soldiers are dying from this old fashioned artillery barrage. 
You know, in Kosovo right now, there is a potential for a conflict between Kosovo and Serbia. We all always talk about China and Taiwan, and these different things may be on the horizon. What would happen? Right now, the world is focused on Russia and Ukraine. What's going to happen if more of these crises come up? How are we going to be able to deal with that? Well, it's a good question, Rick. And and you, you mentioned yourself, uh, Russia's ally. Serbia is a long-standing Russian ally. They are Slavs just like the Russians. The Russians took their part in the breakup of Yugoslavia in the 1990s. Uh, over the past couple of months, we've seen an increase in tension between Serbia's former province of Kosovo. Now Kosovo is calling itself a private country. It's predominantly Muslim. But in the springtime, they held elections right on the Serbian border. And this is a a part of Kosovo, which is overwhelmingly Serbian, ethnic Serbian. And they elected overwhelmingly ethnic Kosovars, Muslims, to political positions. That got the Serbs upset. They uh, increased uh, their forces along the border, their military forces along the border. They too have been saber rattling over the past week or so. NATO has gotten upset and NATO is talking about increasing its presence as peacekeepers along that uh, Serbian Kosovar border. I don't think this one is going to erupt into open hostilities because the uh, Serbian president has been backing down over the past couple of days and reminding people that Serbia does want to join the European Union and getting engaged in a hot war would not be very good for that. But nevertheless, you're right to look at hostilities elsewhere. And Putin is always capable of looking for an opportunity to throw NATO off balance, supporting Serbia in a border war over Kosovo would certainly be one way of doing that. Well, move away from these crises around the world, and let's come home and look at our internal politics. And unless you've been living under a rock, you know that the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican, was ousted from his position this week. Now, I'm not necessarily asking you to talk about the details there, although you can share your thoughts on them for sure. But I just wonder, how is this going to play on a geopolitical scale? How is the rest of the world looking at the United States internally, us as the leaders, or at least at one time, the leaders of the free world? How are they looking at this internal political situation? Well, the most interesting reaction that I've seen, Rick, has been from Ukrainian members of parliament, and they are freaking out. And they're freaking out because McCarthy, uh, last Saturday, before he was ousted, when he put through the uh, that uh, continuing resolution, the spending bill, he cut out aid to Ukraine, which, by the way, was one of the key demands that Matt Gates was making of him. <laughs> so McCarthy had given in to Matt Gates, cut out Ukrainian aid from the CR, uh, and then the Senate passed their CR, the House CR, instead of the one that had been crafted by uh, Chuck Schumer, the Democrats, with the White House. So the Ukrainians are now saying, wait a second, our aid has been cut off. We don't know when it's going to start again. Uh, and that has been you know, something that has got them very upset and very worried. I, I have a, you know, my take on this is a bit more nuanced than some people. I think Everything that Matt Gates said in his floor speech about dark days for America and, and about the need to have accountability, I, I think all of that is correct. We need to get away from the uniparty in Washington, where both Democrats and Republicans essentially uh, have the same agenda with slight nuances. But on the other hand, politics is also the, the art of the possible. You can't have an absolutist agenda 
and uh, be successful in politics. And Matt Gates, I think, had a, a, a absolutist agenda. McCarthy had given in to him already on 90% of what he wanted. They were getting to those 12 uh, budget bills. You know, they ha you have to fund each one of them independently. Hasn't been done for over 20 years. And McCarthy was on the way to doing it. He needed some more time. And they now have another 40 days to complete those um, budget bills. Will this delay actually take time away from the budget negotiations? Quite possibly. So it could actually backfire on Matt Gates. So instead of getting a more transparent budgeting process, uh, they could actually get to one where they need another continuing resolution in 40 more days because they haven't had the time. They've taken their time on this leadership squabble and not their time in debating the budget. Well, I know you'll continue to keep us updated on that situation, and we appreciate your work there. Well, one final question, and this is a little bit different, maybe a little bit out of our normal scope, but uh, religion uh, and geopolitics are certainly an issue. And Pope Francis, uh, certainly a unique pope, and we've talked about it on this program a little bit, especially with Mike Gendron, but his views are unique from uh, most recent popes. And uh, he's been making some news recently talking about the irresponsible uh, United States on climate change, discussing the almost existential-like uh, importance that he places on climate change. And, you know, he's comparing them to China. So he's entering into this geopolitical field. Could you talk a little bit about what the Pope is doing? Yeah, the Pope is now descended uh, from the throne of St. Peter uh, into gutter politics. And I'm afraid that this is going to harm his international image and the respect that people normally afford to the Pope. He's made pathetic and frankly illiterate comments about so-called climate change and U.S. contribution to it. He said this week in a 12-page praise God uh, pronouncement from the Vatican that Americans emit twice as much carbon as the average Chinese. And therefore, America really needs to change its ways. But wait a second. I, I think he's a little bit math challenged. There's 330 million Americans. There's 1.1 billion Chinese. What that means is that the United States is producing one half of the carbon emissions that China is producing today. One half. Uh, and he slams the United States and not uh, communist China. Uh, this is something that the Pope should not get involved in. Climate change is a highly politicized uh, subject. Many people disagree. Many scientists agree that there's any man-made element in the changing of the climate or the changing of the Earth's temperature, that these are long cycles that take place over hundreds of years, and our data only goes back uh, maybe 100 years or 150 years, and that the people who are, especially at the United Nations, are manipulating this data to arrive at false conclusions. So I would just hope that the Pope would abstain from really descending down into gutter-level politics, because that's what he's done this week. Well, Ken, you have talked about a variety of issues today. We appreciate the breadth of your insight that you bring to all of these subjects. Again, if you'd like to find out more about Ken, his articles, his books, sign up for his newsletter, you can go to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure. God bless. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East News Update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. 
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Winter is coming, and secret believers in Afghanistan need your help. Stick around for the details. And then later, a different way to look at the latest headlines from Africa. We'll unpack that story for you in just a few minutes. First, the United Nations' top political official in Afghanistan urges the global community to remain committed. Needs are skyrocketing under Taliban rule, yet international aid continues to decrease. Hartford Iran partner Shanaz Ibrahimi says, We have a people on the ground that can help the needly people. In Afghanistan, we have a great a friend that doing the medical, is still doing the food uh, reliefs, but we need more. Some of the most pressing issues are the lack of food and supplies needed to survive the upcoming winter season. Winters in Afghanistan are very severe, and the people are destitute and hungry. Many are sick. We have a friend and colleague, and he was crying the other day. He said, my neighbor came and knocked our door and said, we don't have even flour to make a bread. Can you borrow us the bowl of the flour to we can make a bread for tonight? It's been three days we didn't eat anything. Secret Christians take great risks to help Afghans in utter despair. Believers share the hope of Christ whenever they can. But they need your help to keep the work going. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. If you have a heart for giving, please connect us and we can do the together for his kingdom, for his glory. Next, some reports have said China's increasing restrictions are hindering the integrity of the gospel. But Eric Berglin of China Partners says the balance of meeting people in their culture is an integral part of ministry. We want to stay uh, foundational to the, the foundations of our faith and the scriptures. And yet at the same time, culture is constantly changing around us. And we're trying to figure out a best way of how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to the culture or to the people that live in today's culture. For example, Chinese officials demand red Bible covers and monitor church congregations. So we try to do whatever we can within the system to stay biblical and to minister to our people in our congregations, at the same time trying to um, do everything that the government is asking us to do. But Berkeley and his partners in China never lose sight of their ultimate goal. We as pastors or as evangelists are working uh, for the Lord is to let people know about the salvation that is possible through Jesus Christ. Learn more about the challenges facing China's Christians and the way they overcome them with a link at our website. Pray for their courage and thank God for their faithfulness. And since 2020, there have been six successful coups in Africa. Many African countries are struggling with violence and unrest. Places like Somalia, Burkina Faso, and Nigeria, just to name a few. 
Greg Kelly, CEO of World Mission, says we need to see headlines like these through a spiritual lens. Part of the reason that Africa is being so destabilized is the threat it is to the enemy. Africa is the most populated continent of Christianity in the world. The average Christian in the continent of Africa is only 19 years old. So it is this force that is a huge threat to the enemy. And I believe as a result of that, we're seeing all these conflicts. And I think Christians need to come alongside of that and be aware of what God is doing inside of Africa. As you stay informed about what God is doing in Africa today, there's always a way to find your place in the story. Pray. We have to pray for the development of leaders inside the church. That is the single most important issue in Africa. If I'm a Christian, I need to be praying that the God of the harvest would send forth laborers into these areas and mature labor so that disciples can be raised up and groomed into maturity so that they can make an impact into these areas. Followers of Jesus have to be vigilant in pursuing and seeking out information and learning about it so that we can be praying. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. So join us here on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find us on Alexa, iTunes, or TWR360. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, Rick, we've talked a lot about Israel. And as a matter of fact, this next week, you leave for Israel. I certainly do, Jimmy. And I, you know, I've been to Israel so many times, but I think I'm more excited than the people that are going for the first time because I know what we're going to see. I know how excited I am to be back in the land to look at Israel past, present, and prophetic, and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And we'd love for those of you that are listening to the program today to come join us on a trip to Israel. If you're interested and you want to find out about when we're going, what we're doing, you can go to our website at prophecytoday.com, or you can call us at 423 425-6247. Talk to us at the office, and we'll see if we can work it out to study the Bible in the land, the greatest classroom for studying Scripture in the world. Rick will be there next week. I will be there in November. Then we've got several groups starting in February going to the land of Israel. Well, we invite you to come along with us. Well, Rick, it's time for our Legacy Series, one that is very popular with our listeners Last week in our study on answering the question, where is the United States in Bible prophecy, we promised to answer the question, what one nation did Ishmael father? We showed you in our last study that Ishmael did not father the Arab world of today. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 20 says, Ishmael fathered only one nation. The word of God does have the answer to Ishmael's descendants. In fact, that's our study for this week. Please take your Bible and go with this to Genesis chapter 25, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, verse 18 says that Ishmael goes to live in a place called at that time Arabia. He does have 12 sons. The text tells us in chapter 25, they live in tents. They are chiefs of tribes and they go after each other. Indeed, they were very aggressive in all of their actions. In fact, Arabic would use this word to describe these young men. All of Ishmael's 
sons were Islamic warriors. Now, wait a minute. I'm not talking about Islam as a religion in the world. I'm using the Arabic word Islam, which means submission. Brain under submission. It does not mean peace. It means brain under submission. And so Ishmael fathered a people, 12 sons who would be tribal leaders who would bring their brothers under submission. Thus, they were called Islamic warriors. And thus, this is the preculture to Islam coming into existence. In fact, Muhammad, who established the Islamic faith, made this statement. He said, I am a direct descendant of Ishmael. He was one of the tribal leaders of those 12 tribes. And then he established the Islamic faith. Ishmael fathered one nation, Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia. By the way, you know what the word Arab means when we use the true definition of the word? It means Bedouin or nomad. We're not talking about a people. We have allowed the journalists, basically, to misuse the word. Words have meanings. We need to understand the meanings of words. Arab means Bedouin or nomad. That's what the Arabian people are. Until they found oil, they were Bedouins or nomads walking through the desert, making certain they could find some pasture land for their sheep and goats. They lived in tents made out of goat hair. They were Bedouins. They could roll that tent up very quickly, move to another spot. So they were nomads. That's what Ishmael became as we see the establishment of the nations. And uh, in chapter 25, also, there's the story of Isaac and Rebecca, and they have twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Those two young men become nations as well. We're talking about the origins of nations. Those two young men become nations as well. But if you look at chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, verse 23, Rebecca is told by the Lord himself that there are two nations within her womb. And this is important because we need to understand the origins of nations. If we're going to understand Bible prophecy, we must understand the origins of nations. Go back just for a moment to chapter 10 of the book of Genesis and let me show you something. Chapter 10 in the book of Genesis has the record of both Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. We showed you Shem, uh, Jepheth, and we showed you Ham. Shem is here in verse 21, and unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, and all the way down through the genealogy. Then in verse 31 it says, And these are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. Verse 32, chapter 10 of Genesis. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. This is the origin or the establishment of nations. And as we've read, you've heard names familiar to the prophetic passages in God's word that lay out an end time scenario. Well, indeed, that's the origins of nations. Let me also now give you one more bit of information And that is that these nations will be forever. The omnipresence, always present nations that are going to be into the future. Go to the book of Isaiah just for a second. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah 2 is somewhat of a kingdom chapter talking about what's going to happen in the kingdom. And Isaiah gets a word from the Lord. And here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and then be exalted above the hills. 
and all nations will flow unto it. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the kingdom being set up. Notice what he says. The mountain of the house of the Lord. The mountain of the house of the Lord. The Lord's house. That mountain is the temple mount, Mount Moriah, in the city of Jerusalem. That's the location where the Lord's house, the temple, is going to be built. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12 says Jesus Christ returns. He builds that temple. 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, says that is an absolute statement that will take place because God made an unconditional promise to King David, I will establish a kingdom, I will put a temple up on the temple mount in Jerusalem, and you'll have one of your sons rule and reign from that area forever. And here in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2 it says, and the nations shall flow unto this mountain, the house of the Lord. Go to Micah just a moment. The book of Micah. Micah is a similar passage of scripture, Micah chapter 4, and it's talking about the last days as well. Notice what it says, Micah chapter 4 verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and that shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say... Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion and out of the word of the Lord from out of Jerusalem. As you look at a road map through eschatology, 6,000 years ago, God sent Jesus to create the heavens, the earth, and all that in them is. Uh, that's the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. By him were all things created. Come along for 4,000 years. Jesus Christ comes, lives, died, buried, resurrects, goes to heaven. 2,000 years now into the future we come to this next event, which will be the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trouble God sounds. We're out of here to be with him. Then there's going to be a seven-year period of time called the tribulation, a terrible time of judgment upon the earth, followed by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ back to the city of Jerusalem. A thousand-year millennial kingdom, and at the end of that thousand years, the great white throne judgment, where Jesus Christ will be the judge, sentencing all of those who have rejected him in the lake of fire. That is a walkthrough or a roadmap for end-time events eschatology. The rapture of the church, the next main event, which is going to happen, the seven years, the return of Christ, then the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Isaiah chapter 2, Micah chapter 2 are talking about the kingdom period. The kingdom period when there is going to be a temple in Jerusalem and all the nations... All the nations will go up. The book of Zechariah chapter 14 says, Every nation in this world, once a year, on the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the last of the seven Jewish feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles will be required to go to Jerusalem. If you don't go to Jerusalem, plagues could be cast upon your nation, or in fact, a famine or a drought would be so bad you're not able to produce food. You must go to Jerusalem. All the nations go to Jerusalem. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 19, it talks about three, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the Jews, Israel, coming together, all speaking the Hebrew language, walking down the king's highway, making your way up to Jerusalem. There will be a gathering of all the nations. There are two nations or two peoples that will be wiped out. And in our studies ahead, we will look at who those two are. But all the nations that attack Israel will receive redemption and will serve the Lord during the millennial kingdom. And so this is an absolute about nations. 
They are omnipresence, at least in the kingdom. But they'll have an omnipresence into eternity future. After the great white throne judgment, you have eternity future. What does the Bible say will happen when Jesus Christ receives the kingdom? I made the statement that Jesus Christ is not now King of Kings and not now Lord of Lords. He is not now, and he's not seated on the throne in the heavens, and his kingdom is not now in operation. I say that based upon what Daniel the prophet wrote down in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it says, The Ancient of Days, that's one of the names for God the Father, will give the Son of Man, that's the name used in the Gospels for Jesus Christ, a dominion, a kingdom forever. Do you not remember the 40 days when Jesus had resurrected from the dead and he went to the Galilee with his disciples and was teaching them? Acts chapter 1 says he was teaching them prophecy, information pertaining to the kingdom to be set up. When they got back into Jerusalem, one of the disciples said, Jesus, are you going to set up your kingdom now? He said, no, I'm not. And then they said, well, when are you going to set up your kingdom? What did Jesus say? I don't know. Only my father knows that. The kingdom will be given to Jesus Christ. It is not now in operation. It is coming. And during this time, nations will have a role in all the activities that unfold, but into eternity future as well. In Daniel chapter 7, the ancient of the day says that this dominion, this kingdom is forever. The word there in Hebrew is olam, O-L-A-M. It's the name attached with El for a name of God, El Olam. All the names of God tell the characteristics of God. And El Olam means this, the eternality of God. El, God, Olam, forever, eternal. And so in eternity future, after the great white throne judgment, Nations will still be in operation. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 is talking about that period of time in eternity future. And it's dealing with a description of the new Jerusalem. And we'll get more into that later in another study. But let me just read a couple of verses, interesting verses to you. Book of Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighteth it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. You might remember in Revelation chapter 1, it says, His face as the sun shineth in its very strength. And so Jesus Christ will be the power and light company in the future. Now look at what it says in verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. In other words, in the New Jerusalem, by the way, the New Jerusalem is not on the earth. It's hanging in the uh, space of the atmospheric heavens out there. More details in another study. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. During this time, we'll see that the New Jerusalem has 12 gates, three in each direction. Those gates are open 24-7. People have access to come in the gates. That's not their eternal abode, but indeed they'll have access and the nations will come. Look at verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations unto it. So nations are omnipresent. They are eternal. 
nations of this world that are mentioned in Bible prophecy are indeed eternal. The nations mentioned in the Bible have a significant role in God's plan for the future. In fact, all the nations will gather together at Jerusalem in alignment with Satan and the Antichrist to try and stop God's plan for the future. That's Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. Now that will be our study for next week. Please join us at that time as we continue to answer the question, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. India's upcoming elections hold the potential for change. John Podidi of Bibles for the World says believers are praying for an open-minded political contender to challenge the current Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his Hindu Nationalist Party. These authorities have a no-tolerance policy concerning religious minorities. There were more attacks in the first eight months of 2023 than in all of last year. Pray the Lord would direct the elections according to his will. And in the Tigray region of Ethiopia, rebuilding has begun in the wake of a brutal two-year civil war. Invading forces used mass sexual assault against women and girls as a weapon of psychological warfare. Eric Foley of the Voice of the Martyrs Korea says cultural attitudes in the region make surviving these horrific assaults difficult. If a woman admits to being sexually assaulted, people shame her. But Christians in the region push against this idea. Pray these women would find hope and freedom in Jesus. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I started out the program talking about the main reason that we could trust biblical prophecy is that it, like the rest of Scripture, was written literally God-breathed by the Creator of the universe. It's inerrant, perfect, and true. And we must understand that before we can understand the role of biblical prophecy. Rick, it's not just a simple reading of the Scripture that really helps people to understand what's happening in the world, is it? No, it isn't, Jimmy, and I appreciate what you say there about uh, literally God-breathed inspired um, text. And, you know, that's something that's under attack in the world today. But as we look at that, no, it's not just reading the words, but it's actually applying them and hearing them. You know, in Israel this weekend, Simchat Torah, which is a celebration of the finishing of the year-long reading of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they finish with the last chapter in Deuteronomy, and then they start the first chapter of Genesis again. And it's a celebration. But as we have learned today from both sides of the story, both Dave Dolan and 
Israel Madad talked about the uh, tense relationship between the Jews and the Christians. Well, that's right, Jimmy. Listening to Dave and Winky talk, it certainly struck me as we look at this situation and we look at what's going on, the tenseness between the Christians and the Jews in Israel, and that's something that came to play earlier this week. You know, Jimmy, it's not just reading the scripture. It's not just uh, the, the celebration of Simcha Torah, just the celebration of reading it. No, you have to learn. You have to apply it. And as you know, as we as Christians know, we have to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And as we learn to accept that fact and accept the free gift of salvation, that is when scripture changes our lives. Yes, it sure does. You know, the first five books of the Bible, the law was given to the Jewish people on how to really to govern themselves. But God kept adding to the scripture, breathing in, inspiring for the writers to write these words down, his words. And so we have much more of a complete book. And the time period, and we've learned that from the past, a dispensational time period, that was a time period of the dispensation of the law. Well, as you take the whole scripture and you read that, when Paul gave those words to that first church, to Timothy and the first church, it was about all of scripture, not just one portion. So biblical prophecy plays two roles. It foretells the future and it explains what the positive or negative results of future events will be. And Rick, we see that. we That's what we focus on each week. We see that there are events that are happening in our world today that are leading up to negative events in the future because they all relate to that seven-year period of time called the tribulation. That's right, Jimmy. And listening to Dave talk, and we he looks at today, it seemed like the the tenseness, the the pressure that is building in Israel and in Jerusalem in particular, and centered around the Temple Mount. That is straight out of Scripture, as God says. That's what's going to happen in the end times during that seven year period, and it just seems to be building. And all across the world and all across the Islamic world specifically, there is this tenseness, this pressure that is building up to an event that is going to take place after the rapture of the church. Prophecy may announce events that bring joy. That joy will be the rapture of the church. That's a hope that's within us. And the pleasure is that we are taken off of this earth. The sorrow is for, and the fear and foreboding are for us that understand that the only way to be eternally with the Father and to be in the rapture of the church and to be saved from that terrible time of destruction on the earth is by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When prophecy is ignored, Rick, it, you know, it, it is usually because the hearers don't like what they hear for one reason or another. Biblical prophecy is not usually general in nature, Although it is normally, it is very specific uh, as to how it will affect someone or something in the future. So we know uh, it's always dependable and worthy of our complete trust. We can allow prophecy to help shape our lives, giving us direction and guidance in serving our Lord. And it should be a source of strength and instruction for all of us. Unlike what we hear called prophecy in the world today in the in the church both in the church and outside the church true biblical prophecy is always accurate and precise what god prophesies always occurs 
Well, that's right, Jimmy. And I like what you say there, the hope, you know, the hope we have, the hope that we have looking at prophecies that were fulfilled in the past. You look at all the prophecies that were fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ. And now as we look forward to his second coming and we see these things getting set in place, we have that hope, that that assurance that, that those fulfilled prophecies that example is going to happen again. And, and, you know, we don't in this world that is so, uh, so chaotic, so crazy. And we, that was exemplified by some of the things that Ken talked about today and Dave and even Winky, all of these uh, things that are taking place in the world. We have a hope. We have an assurance. We don't have to sit here like we're adrift on the sea, but we know what's going to take place and we have an assurance in the future. But Jimmy, if you could, I mean, this, the most important thing is to to not only hear this, but to understand and to realize what we have to do, what you have to do to make sure that, Jimmy, you are prepared for what's going to take place in the future. Yes, and that helps us, Rick, to know where we're going. Who's ever started a trip and not know where you're going? It's, it doesn't work. <laughs> you and I both have families. We know when we start a trip, we have a map. We have a guideline. You know, Rick, John 3.16 says that God loves us and gave his son. Surely we can rely on him as the author of biblical prophecy to predict, to encourage, to direct, and to provide for our future physical and spiritual needs. Our Lord said in John 14.2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and that should be a prophecy of assurance and encouragement for all Christians. So place your trust in God's prophecies just as you place your trust in his son. Rick, thanks so much for helping us today to navigate, help us to navigate through our broadcast partners as we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Jimmy, it's certainly so important to understand the times in which we are living and what is going on in the world today. It sure is, Rick. And with everything that we've seen, the rapture of the church cannot be far away. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.